Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, July 1st. That means it's time for trucking technology and efficiency. We've got both John and Joel joining us today, so we're going to jump right into things and get started. If you want to join us, it's uh, it's a freaky free-for-all Friday as well, so anything at all you want to talk about is fair game today. Pick up the phone and join us. We're opening the phone lines right now, 855-950-3835. I do have an open today. I'll warn you right now, it is political, but uh, I'm only doing it because this little bit of politics has a direct impact on the trucking industry, a big impact potentially. So we're going to talk about it a little today. I wish I didn't have to, but we do. Uh, It looks like we've got John in. I don't see Joel yet, but you know what? I'm just going to bring John in and we'll get started on stuff. John, good morning. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Doing good. Where are you this week? I am in Bowman. Uh, wait, that, that's Joel and Andy texting us. I don't know how to turn that off, so we're going to hear this text. <laughs> I'm in my truck right now in the paddock of uh, Canadian Tire Motorsports Park in Bowmanville, Ontario, is where I am. Got so, it. Okay. Quite a, quite a change from, from Reno, Nevada last week. But uh, yeah, we've got an IMSA race up here this weekend. And uh, I was able to free myself up for an hour here to uh, to do the show. So Excellent. I'm sitting uh, in my truck listening. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, busy week. I had, I really enjoyed my time out west last week. And you'll, you'll probably be seeing more of me this winter. I'll probably come busy at some point. Good. Uh, I Good. thoroughly enjoyed that area. It was my first trip to Reno. And not so much Reno per se. I mean, I'm, I'm not into gambling or any of that stuff or any, any, anything even remotely glitzy. But uh, the mountains there are just amazing. I, I took a went Saturday into a hike in uh, what's called the Sierra Buttes, and uh, there's an old lookout tower you can hike through there. It's, uh, it's only about a two and a half mile hike, but it's 1,500 feet pretty much straight up, and uh, it, it was it was amazing, yeah, absolutely amazing. So yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a that's a pretty place, no doubt. All right, so Joel's here. Yeah. I might as well just uh, throw him into the mix here, and we'll uh, we'll get started. Joel, welcome back. Hey, hey guys, how's it going? Good, good. So where are you this week? Oh, I'm delivering furniture. I am in southern Georgia at the moment, heading up towards Atlanta. I got four or five stops right along I-75, and I don't know that I'm going to get them all off today, but we're going to give her a hell of a shot. Oh, one of those days, <laughs> huh? All right. Uh, mm-hmm. Might have to sacrifice a little bit of fuel economy. Well, I actually, I, I did get held up early in the week and I started out at a nice, you know, 56 to 58 mile an hour. And it was running between 11.3 and 11.6. And then I had to kick it in the ass after a delay. And I've been running 70 everywhere I can. It leveled out at 10.3 and it's just, just kind of holding there. So I'm, I'm okay with that. 
you know, I, I think we need <laughs> That's a. Amazing. Yeah, I know. I think we need a little clarification there because you just kind of blew through that. You said eleven three to eleven six. A bunch of people are scratching their head, going, "What the hell are you talking about?" That's his fuel economy. Eleven point three miles to the gallon. I just want to clarify that because I know there's a bunch of people that are confused. Well, and that's gotcha. too, the guys to say, well, if I want to drive around 55, I can do that too. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 That's right. All right. So here's, here's the way we're going to roll today. Cause I have a topic and unfortunately it's politics, but I'm going to talk about it because it's a pretty big deal. I've been talking about it a long time. We have a decision now. So, uh, but I want you guys to go first. So, uh, John, What's uh, what's what's on your mind this week? Um, talking to some race teams right now about doing some efficiency work with our trucks. I was in the in the hotel lobby this morning with a couple of the drivers, and you know these guys, yeah, they do run fast. They don't really have to. I mean, unless they leave the shop late. I mean, it's easy to plan to, to not have to go too fast. But a lot of these teams with these race rigs that should have great arrow are getting four and a half, five, six miles a gallon max, Ooh. you know, and, uh, yeah. And they're all spec wrong and they're all, you know, used trucks they bought somewhere and didn't care what was under them and so forth. And now with fuel being what it is, uh, it was amazing. Just that, you know, I, I ended up catching up with uh, drivers from three different teams this morning, just by happenstance in the lobby. And, you know, they, they were starting to care again, budget, you know, in this world, you know, if we save a few bucks here, it turns into another set of tires for testing or something, right? So it's not like, uh, you know, it can could, it could affect our performance on track if we are more efficient getting our cars to and from the track. So, yeah, so we're, you know, I'm talking about doing some wheel bearings and some alignment work and, and some other things for, for a couple of them right now. So, yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's on my mind. And, you know, even places where you think they don't care when the price goes up a bit, uh, and it's way more up here, even I'll have you know. I think this gallon of diesel is about eight bucks up here. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> you know that's that, 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 that's got everybody's attention now. Yeah. So it's yeah. Uh, it's cool. I I just love it. You know, it's, it's, it's the efficiency thing to me. And I've said this before. And uh, like Joel posted an article about the Indy Five Hundred there. Uh, it's the same as racing to me. It really is. You know, it's just, it's just fun to find that few tenths. You know, to, to have the idea to do what you need to do and then make some changes and have it work. Um, you know, you got to make a few that don't work every now and then just to figure it out. But yeah, so that's what's on my mind. It's, you know, just the usual efficiency things and so forth. And, uh, you know, to me, the big ones are rolling resistance and, and alignment. And like, it's the thing, you know, the axles not fighting each other to go down the road and then we'll start working on some arrow and go from there. And, you know, obviously to get someone to change gears, I mean, they're not going to do that unless the rear end already worn out and they want to keep the truck. So that's, you know, that sort of thing is, is kind of high in the sky right now. But every now and then, you know, we'll get someone who might do that. And talking to them about specking new trucks as well. There you go. Good stuff. But, yeah. You know, so, I'm, I'm sitting here in the paddock look, looking. I'm looking at like 200 trucks right now. I got like yeah. 200 rigs out the window of my pickup truck right now that are all getting, you know, four and a half to six miles to the gallon. And, so, and there's yep. no reason in an operation like that, eight and nine should, should be the norm. Easy. It's, yeah. it's well-maintained, nice stuff. Yeah, eight, nine, and, right. and just, you know, do that. See what that does to your yearly budget. Now, these guys do only run about fifty to 70,000 miles a year. It's not quite like someone right. out, out hustling all year. But still, it's, it's, a, it's a significant number. It really is. Well, so that's what's on my mind right at the moment. Yeah. You know, one of the things that um, we 
haven't talked about during this with with crazy high record diesel prices and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better it looks like it'll probably get worse Uh, they're down this week they're down fairly significantly we have that whole weird issue where they're not reporting the the eia isn't reporting the numbers for um, fuel surcharge now the timing actually worked out good for owner operators because in the two or three weeks now where they haven't reported, prices have gone down. That actually creates an advantage because a lot of people are still calculating their fuel surcharge on the last number that was published, not realizing there's many other ways they could go get a fuel number to create a fuel surcharge, but it's got everybody confused. Um, but it, it, it actually, just because a timing is working out in the owner-operator's favor. If it's the opposite, if fuel prices go up and they don't recalculate, then the owner-operator gets screwed. Um, and I've seen times where just that weak delay is enough to hurt some of these guys. Um, for the most part, trucks should not be... fuel prices shouldn't be a big concern really shouldn't the fuel surcharge takes care of it nothing really changed profit wise unless you're getting four miles to the gallon but we haven't talked a lot about what you talked about today what about all these operations that use a lot of diesel fuel but don't have any kind of revenue to to back it up or a fuel surcharge the the number that kind of hit me over the head on this last trip of mine is when I was looking at the prices and looking at my fuel mileage and in my head I went wait a minute my cost for fuel right now must be over a dollar a mile just for fuel yeah so I I ran the numbers and sure enough on this last trip I averaged a slightly over a dollar per mile it was a 6,000 mile trip I have to think about that and go, yep. does it really make sense for me to spend $6,000 to go out and, and be at an event for a day or two? Or, uh, you know, I loved the time I spent at Pittsburgh Power. You and I got to go to dinner a couple of times. That was awesome. But a buck a mile to drive around the country, that's insane. No, and you can still fly pretty cheap. So that's, that's, that's hard <laughs> to do that. Not that everybody wants to do that, but I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it amazes me that uh, you can still fly around for what you fly for. And we get back to that, you know, the, the, the high fuel costs and things. And I, I don't, I don't want to by any means advocate that, but if you look at the rest of the world and look at the efficiency stuff that comes out of Europe, even in their road going cars and they, they've embraced diesel cars and things a long time ago that were super efficient. Well, they've been de- the rest of the world's been dealing with high fuel prices forever. You know, it, it, it's it's been, you know, like I said I remember being in Europe in the late '90s or early 2000s, and it was, you know, I think it was the equivalent of uh, like a buck fifty a liter, or, 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 or one point five euros per liter. So that was at the time that was like six bucks a gallon, right? You know, right. for uh, so. You know, what what we see happening, and I hate to always look for silver linings and things, but if you look at some of our listeners and so forth, and I've been watching the Hemersons with their new truck and so forth, they're uh, postings online, and they're, you know, they're embracing the super efficient stuff now. You know, the people used to drive the cowboy trucks are now, oh, it's time. You know, we, we need to move on to the higher tech stuff and get the better fuel mileage. And in fact, the matter is it's better for the environment. It's better for everything, every, everyone involved. Um, you know, so the business model changes and we become more efficiency minded. And, and to me, that's performance. That they, you know, maybe not be performance as in 
you know, speed, but it's still performance. So become a higher performance operation and be more efficient. And, you know, I hate being painted into that corner, having to be to survive, but it, it is what it is and you deal with it. Um, it's an interesting, interesting world in that, in that regard in that right now. Yeah, you know, I'm going to talk today about, um, about you know, too much government intervention, I think, or maybe this time not enough, I'll explain, um, what just happened in trucking. But I'm, if we look at the things that could cause problems in trucking, high fuel prices are not one of them. Now, that could cause problems in the economy. That's really what we're more worried about. But if you're in trucking, the high fuel price shouldn't even be an issue, it's the whole point of the fuel right. surcharge, and it works. So yeah. high fuel well, prices I don't see as a big problem for us in trucking. And what you just said makes sense. We will see and find better solutions. The higher fuel prices stay for the longer period of time, we'll find better and better solutions to be more efficient. That, to me, isn't really a big issue in trucking. No, it's not. I, I, you were mentioning earlier about the, the buck a mile thing. Uh, the last time fuel prices went up, I think it was, I don't know, W was president, 04, whatever, whatever one of the one of the Middle East conflicts happened and whatever. And we had that little bit of time where diesel went to about five bucks a gallon. And I, I had my peak then, and I had a Freightliner, uh, the big medium class thing, the class seven truck with a, with a, with a silly big the, trailer with it. And they both uh, got about five. Yeah. Right? The M2, I and think. Yeah. I'm like, holy shit. Like I'm, I'm spending a buck a mile. Exactly. What you yeah. said. I'm like, it's a, it's a dollar a mile just to put fuel in the truck. And I haven't paid a tax or a fee or, right. you know, that doesn't include my, you know, so like, holy crap. And, and back <laughs> then we do a budget. So I do a budget for the year. I didn't get to charge a fuel surcharge. I didn't work that in with my customers, but I, you know, these people pay me for a service. It's going to cost X amount of dollars to get your equipment to these tracks and service them and take care of it. And we're going to do our thing. And it hit me hard. Like, I'm like, I, I'll never do this again. I'm going to, it's going to be variable. The mileage is going to be dependent on what we charge to get the car to the track is going to be dependent on fuel. Yeah. Um, it, it, it actually, you know, it, it was, it was a big deal. Now, when that's part of the cost of your operation, and you don't have that surcharge. So basically what I, you know, did in the future was, yeah, it was basically it is a surcharge. My, my mileage cost is going to be dependent on what I'm paying for fuel. And I get to do that because I'm just a business who has a truck and whole shit around for people. So yeah, but it was, it was interesting, but it, 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 it stuck with me ever since. And that may have put me down the, down the path of, you know, being interested in trucks that do better fuel mileage wise. Cause you know, it was yeah, two trucks were a big part of our operation back then. Yeah. You know, think about the, the things that go on that, you know, people might use a lot of diesel, but they don't have a, a lot of income to offset it. Racing, you know, not at the high end. At the high end, they have so much money, it's just not going to matter to them. But the, right. there's right. a lot more people out there doing these kind of things that, yeah, they might have money if you're into racing, but at some point you have a budget. At some point, it's not unlimited, so these things will have an right. impact. Then you look at other areas where there isn't that kind of money, the horse events, horse showings, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. There's another operation where even if you're using a dually pickup, you're using a lot of fuel. You're probably getting nine or 10 miles to the gallon moving horses around. And, and those are the ones that are really getting hurt with this. Oh, for sure. 
I think about small contractors and things too. Okay, a couple of excavators and a dump truck. And, yeah, you know, that, that, yeah. you know, just like what he has to do to his price is just that, that you know, haul his equipment around every day and then get rid of some, you know, whatever he puts in his dump truck. So there's a ton of different operations that, yeah, that, that it's just a, it's it's a, a, a cost. You know, it's a straight up cost that you don't charge a surcharge for. Yep. So, but we're we're lucky in that regard in this business here for sure. All right, Joel, what's yep. on your mind this week? Oh, hoping to get my, my purple beast up north here and, and uh, get it to an MD alignment, get some stuff taken care of on it, and maybe roll it through our shop and just double-check the overhead and, you know, work through everything, make sure everything is just right on it, uh, get some graphics and whatnot. You know, basically just get it ready to go out the door and um, getting it under a load and see what we can do with it. That's exciting. Man, I used to love getting a new truck in that's really worked on the specs, and you've got some new things going on. That's uh, that sounds like fun. Yeah, I, I think this one's going to be uh, very, very impressive. As good as the truck that I'm I'm in right now is, I think this one's just going to be that much better. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely looking forward to getting in, into it for yeah. sure. Good. All right. So I hate to do it, but we're going to talk politics um, because this (laughs) has a big impact on trucking. So last week was a big week for the Supreme Court. I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime. And we could talk on the pit. We'll probably talk about all the decisions that came out of last week. Big ones, really, really big decisions. And a lot of them. And earlier this week, I said the one decision I'm waiting on, uh, it doesn't look like they're going to hear it. I think they're just going to pass, which means we'll have to wait till their next session to see what's going to happen. And the law firm that's really into this, um, uh, Greg Fury is one of the lawyers. Uh, I've been following them on this and they thought the same thing earlier this week. They thought, well, we're just going to have to wait till October to see anything on this. And then before they closed the session, they actually made a decision on this, but it wasn't a good one. This California AB5 is what we're talking about. And the Supreme Court decided to not hear the case. They made a decision to not hear it. What that means is it goes back to the Ninth Circuit and California AB5, as of right now, today, is law in California. That means there are 70,000 owner-operators in California leased to carriers that are now in violation, um, and basically their contract will end. Um, That is the law in California now, and the appeals are over. The Supreme Court decided not to hear the case at all. So the only thing that could potentially happen is if some group decides they have a different legal argument and tries to take it back through the courts, but um, I don't really see that happening. Now, I will say, as much as I don't like this ruling, the Supreme Court was really consistent in all of their decisions. The big ones, you know, Roe v. Wade obviously was a big one. The New York concealed carry law, the EPA versus West Virginia, that was actually a really good ruling for trucking. Um, Basically, well, we'll come back to that one. Um, so they were consistent in that they, they on every one of these rulings, they said 
the federal government should not be involved in these issues, and they put the issues back to the state. Now, most of the time, I like that. I prefer states' rights, and we have more control. We can vote locally and really make a difference. But there's a reason we have that FAA Act, and there's a reason we have the Interstate Commerce Clause, is that, yes, we want states to be able to make these decisions, instead of the federal government, but when decisions like this interfere with interstate commerce, then we have to look twice. And I really thought the Supreme Court was going to um, strike this down and, and say it definitely interferes with interstate commerce, but they didn't. They were consistent across the board, and they said, this is up to the states. If they want to do this, they can do this. So, well, basically, they didn't say that. They just said they're not going to hear it. So here's where we are. Um, This could go federal. There is a federal bill already in place. It's passed the House, and it's stuck in the Senate. Um, I I don't think it's going to pass with the Senate we have right now, and who knows what's going to happen in November now that, you know— Roe v. Wade is an issue for voters. It's just, it's kind of a mess, but in California right now, it's now illegal to lease your truck to a carrier. That's that's interesting that in this trucking, I've not read 85, but I get the pretense of it. And, you know, it's more for the, you know, people, the Ubers and such of the world, and and they use contractors to start paying health insurance of a oil foundation. Right. So it's, you know, they, they, they would be employing enough people that they have some responsibility on the health insurance end and they use stuff to do that. And to me, it sounds like trucking got lumped into that for no real good reason. Uh, you know, is this like an accounting thing? Is there a way around it, Kevin? Like, you know, what, what I do, I'm basically a subcontractor too, but I'm set up as an S-corp and I invoice these people and they don't 1099 me. And I'm a business who is a consultant to the teams and I, I do my own thing. Correct. But is there a way that, that an owner-operator could do something similar? No, and here's why. And here's really what I want to talk about as an industry, because there's not much we're going to do to change AB5 in California. And, you know, federally, all we can really do is vote and hope. But here's here's the fix, and here's why... Well, let's just jump into this. The fix is you go get your own authority. Because in order to do what you're doing, just saying, look, I am completely independent. I can work for anybody I want to work for, and I'll bill them directly. Well, that works in every other business, but it's not going to work in trucking because in order to do that, I have to go get authority. And that is the answer. You could go get authority. You could pull freight for the same company. You would just do it through their brokerage instead of through their trucking authority. But here's my point on this. Why does authority even exist anymore? There's absolutely no purpose behind it. No other business that I'm aware of. There may be some out there, but I'd argue the same thing if there were. I've started a lot of businesses. There's only one time that I had to go pay the government money and ask their permission to be in business. That's what authority is. I have to, I have to pay them a right. fee and I have to ask for permission and then I have to wait for them to grant that permission. Why? Why does that system well, even the, exist isn't, anymore? 
isn't that your authority attached to your safety scoring record or no? Yes, but why we have lots of regulations in lots of industries where you have to meet certain safety requirements or you get fined or put out of business. I get that. I'm not even fighting that. I'm just saying, why do I have to pay a fee and ask for permission? Well, I just was assuming that's their mechanism to do that. Was well, the authority is tied to the safety, and that's how they do it. They they well, yank your authority. I don't don't know that it serves any other purpose but that. Well, here's an easier way to do that. Uh, the first step is I have to apply for a DOT number. Well, just tie that into mm-hmm. the safety score. Now we're done. Right. Sure. Yeah, it, it may be just too many layers of nonsense. I, I haven't really thought about that, to tell you the truth, but that, that kind of makes sense. You may, maybe strip away some of the layers and, and get rid of the authority. Well, but uh, if, if, we, exact, again, mm-hmm. if we understand history and we understand why authority existed, then it makes total sense that it shouldn't exist anymore. It should have gone away in 1980 because... What what regulation was prior to deregulation was the government controlling rates to artificially keep them high. That was the point so that trucking companies could afford to grow and cover the whole country. And you could go back and argue whether we needed it or but that's what happened. Now, the only way to do that. To artificially keep prices high is to control the supply of trucks. And they did it by saying, you can apply for authority all day long. We're not going to issue it. No, you can't be a trucking company. That's how it worked. So they limited the number of trucking companies by the authority process and not issuing the authority. And if you wanted it, you had to go buy it. And back then... You had trucking companies selling for millions of dollars that that weren't even all that profitable. They just that authority was worth so much money. Well, once we said, look, we don't need to control the number of trucks anymore. We can make it a free market and let the, the, the market decide the price. Well, at that point, this whole process we call authority should have gone away. And it didn't. That's the problem with government. Once they get something in place that makes money. Trying to get rid of it is next to impossible. <laughs> so I thought that it was really part of an anti-monopoly, anti-trust thing. I thought it was to control the numbers in that regard as well, though. No, no, it wasn't anti-monopoly no. at all. Okay. No, it was. Okay. It was simply saying, "Look, this is. It's really expensive to try to cover all these routes, and in order to do it, they did the same thing for the utility companies." They said, look, we can't have 20 companies out there trying to run power lines all over the country. So we'll limit right. it. We'll, we'll, so that's what they did. Same thing with airlines. The whole point was to give the industry a chance to, to get started. They thought it was just too expensive. If you had too much competition, too many people would have failed. I, I, we could go back and argue it. I don't know that it was necessary, but that's how they chose to do it. And then at some point we said, look, this doesn't make sense anymore. This isn't a free market. We're going to make it a free market. And of course, prices went down. That's, that's what you would expect. But that it mm-hmm. makes no sense anymore to have this system at all. And if we eliminate it, then AB5 becomes no big deal. 
Now I'm, I'm just, I buy a truck, I'm in business, I can go pull freight for whoever I want. Interesting. So, yeah, there's got to be a way around it. you gotta, you got to think that's got to happen. Is the authority as difficult to get as it was? Again, it, I'm not well versed in this. No, they, they will issue it to everybody that applies unless you have some sort of weird felony where you've abused the authority in the past. And so for the most part, you're okay. going to get authority where for, you know, at the end of regulation, it was almost impossible to get authority. They just weren't issuing it to anybody. Now, virtually, if you don't have a problem in your background directly related to trucking, you'll get the authority. You got to pay the fee to the government. Most of the time you end up paying a fee to somebody else to do it because the whole process is such a nightmare, but you'll get the authority. So again, if everybody like gets it, for you, Kevin. what's that? Sounds like another business for you. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. And, <laughs> you know, here I am complaining about it, and I'm saying the whole thing with authority should just go away. If it doesn't, I'm prepared to take advantage of it. I have about, I have a course right. about how to get your authority, how to do it right, step by step. It's the most in-depth course we've created to date. We've never released it. It's about 90% right. done. And we, we held off on releasing it because I wanted to know what was going to happen with this. Now we know. And if this is the case, you have to go get your own authority. Okay, I've got a course. I'll help you do it right. You're ready, yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see. That might be, and you know, maybe some of these guys would be better off for it. If you think about it, if they, they become, you know, businesses invoicing customers rather than the, the, the previous way they've been operating, it might, might work out better for them in the end. And anyone who's astute enough to do it, I should say. Yeah, yeah, you are right. This will create a bigger divide in the owner-operator world than we already have because it is more difficult to operate under your own authority. You have higher costs. You have to control those costs better. So what we'll see is we'll see, you know, the good owner-operators, they'll go through this, they'll do it, they'll succeed. We'll lose a lot more uh, in the middle. We're going to lose the bottom third of the industry anyway. They're going to get washed out no matter what happens in this. But we're going to lose more of them in the middle now. Interesting. So as of right now in California, there's, there's a couple options. Um, one, I guess, you know, if you're an owner-operator and this is going to be a problem, you move out of California. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not joking when I say that I've moved my businesses a couple times to create advantages. I don't, I think it's just smart. So one option is just get the hell out of California. If you own trucks, uh, the other two, if you want to stay one, you get your authority. And then, like I said, if you're the carrier you're leased to today has a brokerage, you can keep working for them. It's just a paperwork shuffle. Now you're going to run your freight through their brokerage and now you have to pay a bunch of insurance. And um, the other option, and again, I don't like this one, but it, it's an option, is, and the owner operator doesn't have the choice here. The carrier has to make this choice. The carriers could go to a two-check system. And we used to use that a lot um, it, it, back east in the union states. We used to use it a lot. Joel, you're probably familiar with this. And the way this works, and I, I did this for a little while, so I understand how it works. The company that you would 
typically lease your truck to as an owner operator creates what we call a two check system. They actually hire you as an employee. That's the one check. Then they lease your truck from you. Or actually, we, we tend to call it renting. They rent your truck from you and cut you another check. That's the business side of it. So no taxes, yeah, that kind re- of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Um, I remember guys talking about it, and I came in just as that was winding down. So I never actually worked under that, but I, I remember guys talking about that. Yeah, I I did um, I did some work for a cardboard company there in Cleveland, and that was the way we worked that system then. Um, and there were a couple mm-hmm. others. Uh, yeah, there, it was fairly common back in Northeast Ohio, where a lot of union. Well, the cardboard company yeah. I've talked about that. That was a union contract. I had to be in the union as on the employee side of things. It was just a, a really bizarre setup. I didn't like it. I don't like it now because I didn't go into business and invest all this money and risk everything to just become an employee again. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When I was hauling flour out of the flats in Cleveland at the flour mills that were down there, um, that was all union and the carrier that was in there was union. And like I said, I just came in right behind that. And so they had all talked about that. Half the guys really liked it. Um, the other half were glad that it went away. So I, I don't have any experience with it, but it seemed to be about a 50, 50 split in the driver's mind, whether it was a good idea or not. It, it, it like I said, it, it, you know, for a lot of those guys, it took care of the big part of their tax problem. And if you wanted to, then you could just bump up your withholding on that side. It would even cover the profit from running the truck. So the people who struggled with taxes primarily or, wanted some of the union benefits, that kind of thing. They liked it. For me, I, I didn't mm-hmm. understand why I wanted to be in business and then have to be a W-2 employee at the same time. I What a mess that was to me. But that is one of the ways <laughs> they can fix this, uh, or it's one of the options. But uh, it's going to get interesting. Now, here's the other thing, and, and we're going to have to wait for the courts on all of this. What if I'm an owner-operator living in Oregon where I am, but I want to lease my truck to a company in California? I don't know if I can do that or not. Hmm. We're going to have Yeah, that's to... interesting, too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a very, very common thing in trucking. You, you lease to whoever you want. You don't yeah. care where, they're, where they are. That it, but think about it. Most other independent contractor jobs don't work like that. You, if you're going to be an independent contractor, it's probably for a company that's based in your state. So this, And this so is will, why trucking should get an exemption because we're not based locally. We, we, are a, a, we are one industry that covers the whole country and anything like this where one state puts rules in that are big rules, a big, big change, it disrupts the entire industry. So I was reading one of the transportation attorneys that were talking about this and he was saying something about the, and this really is impacting the the drage and the port people out there in California. And he was saying that the companies that I don't know, the, the fleets that didn't have power units or something and were only a brokerage that 
they actually passed the test because their main function was not to haul freight. Correct. And so they they that, thought that that people could could still work directly with them, and they were going through a big scenario. And I just skimmed over it, but it, it sounded like there were four or five different angles they were working on to kind of sidestep this all. Yeah, it, and again, it, the, we'll figure it out. We'll come up with workarounds. Um, that is, you know, one of the issues. That's really where this started. But the other interesting part, the unions in the ports were a big part of pushing for this in California. But the real target, John, you mentioned this earlier. They actually called this the the gig law because it was directly yep. targeted at Uber and Lyft and Instacart and DoorDash. But here's the here's the crazy thing. Those companies have the best argument against this, the best legal argument. I don't think those companies are going to get stuck with this. It's a, and and they were really? the target. But here's their argument, and I think that's it's the whole reason it exists. Yeah. I know, but yeah, when you hear their argument, I, yeah. I think it's absolutely brilliant, and I I honestly I agree with them. So they're not. I don't think they're going to be affected by this. So here's their argument. The government is trying to decide who's an employee or an independent contractor. That's the argument. The Uber and Lyft, they're saying, look, you guys can argue about that all you want. Doesn't affect us. In our situation, they're not a customer, they're not a an employee or an independent contractor. They're a customer. We sell software. They download our software and they use our software to, to create a business and go to work. They're they're just customers of ours. It, it sounds like it sounds like someone really screwed up when they wrote this thing because that was the target. I mean, that was definitely the target. Right, but doesn't that absolutely make <laughs> sense? I, I think about how how casual that relationship is. If I want to go lease my right. truck to an owner operator, there's an in depth process here. At some point, I almost always have to show up in person. I have to go through their classes and their training. I have to sign a bunch of stuff, but. To, to work for Uber, hell, all I do is take my phone out of my pocket, sign up on the app, and start working this afternoon. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> huh. So how do we bring something like that to trucking? Get rid of authority. <laughs> That's it. Right there. Get rid exactly. of the process of authority, yeah. and then we could do the exact same thing in trucking. Here's an app that I created that helps you go find freight. Just use my app. Done. Yeah. You're rolling. Yeah. That's all it would take. We just have to get rid of that whole process of authority. Makes sense. So is there, is there any chance of that? Like, how would that process start? Who's, gonna, I, who's, the, who's the politician that could bring that up? Because it like, exists in a vacuum. No one talks about it who's not in trucking. No one knows it exists. Like, the whole authority thing is just, uh, you know, uh, something that, that the general public doesn't know or care about. Right. right. So, it, so how would that, how, well, how would you do that? I don't know. And, and here's why, because Joel, you just said you've been reading this attorney. I've been reading everything I can find about this. Not, not once have I seen this idea even mentioned. Nobody has brought it up, not even in the industry. And I'm wondering why not? Why don't, why don't we talk about this? And then as far as politicians, well, here's the thing right now, because of the inflation and the supply chain issues we have, 
if you can sell the idea that this is going to help with inflation and help reduce supply chain issues right now, you're likely to get both parties to bite on this. Um, you know, if we were in good economic times, ain't nobody going to touch it with a 10 foot pole. But if you've got an idea that's going to contribute to reducing inflation and solving supply chain, uh, you probably have people jumping at this if it's well explained and, and presented to them. I would hope so, but I have a feeling there is one political side that just may not be all that interested in this. And, and here's why this was one of my other notes. I didn't know if I was even going to get to this one or not, because we're getting deeper and deeper into politics here, but it, it matters. So let's talk about it. So when I, when, when you look at what we're dealing with supply chain shortages, it's our, one of our biggest issues right now. It's driving. It's a big part of it, driving inflation and California just made it worse at least within their state, they've just made it worse instead of better. So you're right. If we have an idea that could make the transportation more efficient, we have several ideas, you would think they'd be all over it. But let me tell you what the, and yes, I'm going to get partisan here, what the Democrats' priorities really are. And our Secretary of Transportation, now that he's back from his paternity leave, Here's his big push right now. Here's the, the, um, the headline, and I want you, each one of you, I want you to tell me what this means. Here's the headline. Buttigieg launches $1 billion pilot program to build racial equity in roads. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, so I have no idea. Improper neighborhoods. I don't know. What, what, that's, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know what that means. Um, I'd have to read the whole article and find out, I guess. But, well, yeah. I did, so I'll explain it to everybody because I couldn't guess what this meant from the headline. But a billion dollars. Com- countries that are $30 trillion in debt probably shouldn't be spending a billion dollars on something called racial equity in roads. What the, so I read it, here's what they're claiming and, and they want to fix this problem now. And I, I'm not even disagreeing with, with the premise. I'll even agree with it. Their premise is in 1950, when we started building the interstate highways, we, we, put highways through black neighborhoods more often than white neighborhoods, and we destroyed their community because we separated them with a highway. Ah, This happened in Toledo several years ago when they put the high-level bridge in and they had the reuniting of the community, and they talked about this exact same stuff. That was, what, early to mid-'90s? So I know where you're going with this. Yeah, gotcha. I'm not even arguing that. I'm pretty sure we probably did do that in the 1950s. We did that, yeah, for sure. Right. Well, and and, 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 man, and they, they took the property that was cheapest, and that happened to be in those neighborhoods. I don't know that it was by design, but that's what you did. You know, right? That was that, that's, that's how they built those things. Right. I have a cousin who just had a $400,000 house taken by eminent domain for an on-ramp on the new uh, 579 connector in Pittsburgh, the thing there that goes from the airport down to the Weirton somewhere or something like that. Like, like he, he built this house by hand, it's not replaceable, and he got eminent domain out of it. So it does happen to other people, but I could see in the 50s where they 
targeted certain neighborhoods because it was easier to do that, and that would make sense. Yeah, so uh, you can't uh, deny that. I'll admit we did it. I'll admit it was wrong. We shouldn't have done it, but. There are tons of other examples. You want to see one of the most egregious examples of this. Look at what they've done to native Hawaiians and the kind of property they've taken from Hawaiians through eminent domain. And that is just absolutely wrong. And they're still doing it. So nobody's talking about that. So I'll admit we did it. It was wrong. We shouldn't have done it. But spending a billion dollars thinking we're going to fix it now? It's just ignorant. Hmm. Yeah, a, a lot of those neighborhoods have probably changed over the years, and and um, you know a lot of them have been kind of fixed already, just as they've upgraded the new bridges and whatnot. Kind of like what happened in Toledo when they done that high level, they decided to extend that bridge on 280, basically all the way over to 75, so that neighborhood didn't have the the barrier of the interstate running through it but uh it, it does seem it seems a little ridiculous with all of the other things that we have pressing right now to allocate that kind of money um at right, right. at the moment you know if you had money coming out your ears to go out and fix stuff okay i get it but uh not right now yeah so it's yeah Go ahead, John. You can only go forward. You can't go back and you can't go back and undo anything in life, right? You, you can't do that. So, right or wrong, and like you said, you can't deny that that happened. But I mean, yeah, to invest and like Joel said, some of those neighborhoods have become hip and trendy now too. So, yeah, okay, so there's an interstate there or whatever. But so you know, I, I see you know not so good neighborhoods all over my area that are now the places to be. You know, that were in the you know 70s or 80s that you just wouldn't even think of going to. And yeah, so it's, I think that's happening naturally. We don't need to invest a billion dollars in it. Well, since 1950, there are neighborhoods that have probably changed completely four times since then. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So it's like, you can't turn back the clock and undo it. But, you know, again, that road had to go somewhere. It was probably the best business decision to make at the time. The fact that it comes off as being racial, well, that's more happenstance in my book. You know, but that was that was where to put it. That's what you did. And, so the interstate had to go somewhere. Right? And and if the idea yeah. is because we put a highway in, we divided the community. And let's look at how people live in the United States most of the time today. Um, <laughs> how many of you really know the person living next to you really well? <laughs> you <can go> <laughs> no, I, I agree with you on this. I think it's it's a little over top. And here's the other thing. If the highway wasn't there, they would probably be complaining that somehow that's discriminatory because you won't build a highway to this neighborhood. I, I almost guarantee you that would happen. So I don't know. I don't know how you fix that. Or, or the exit that's now six blocks from your house where all the restaurants and stuff popped up where your kids work now. You know, think about that. I mean, it's, it, it, yeah, it, it corrected itself already. We don't need to throw more money at it. Exactly. I, it, the, the fact that I just, when I read these kind of things, I just shake my head and think, I, Joel, like you said, if this was a time of total prosperity, I, I still wouldn't like it because it's not going to work. That, that's the, for, forget yeah, the money I, I part I agree. Of it. It, it's doomed to fail. I, right. there's, there's no amount of money you can spend that will fix that because it's, it's just so dynamic and changing all the time. 
it's not like we can't do without roads. So they they are they are what they are, and they are where they are. So yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Right. All right. Yeah. So that's enough of that. Yeah. Anybody else have anything, or should we find out what the callers want to talk about? I guess you know what the callers have to say. All right. I I heard a a funny ad. I was I was I was listening to that network you used to be on on my way up to Canada last night. I I drove from (laughs) Pittsburgh to here, and there was a really cool ad for the Garmin Diesel product. I'm like, oh, cool. So you you still have your 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 fingerprint on, on XM there. So there was a watch that Garmin had an ad. They bought on one of the channels. I forget which one I was listening to, but for the uh, for, for your watch. Awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. Very cool. And uh, uh, let you know that. Well, and I also want to let you know after our um, after our show with Garmin, um, Eric was so excited. I got an email back immediately. Um, you know, thanking him. What a great show it was. We had lots of great interest, but he wants to keep moving forward on some of our ideas. Oh, cool. I'm in the shop all next week. I'd love to have a call with him. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd really, I'd, yeah. So hey, I have to put them together for sure. If, if they're serious about doing something, I am going to have to decide what I'm going to be using for electronic logs and stuff in my truck. So, uh, yeah, we're going to need to okay. have that discussion relatively quick good good let's do that then i will set that up all right uh now the calls are starting to come in even heavier so let's get to some um we're gonna hang out we're almost we almost blew through the hour by yourself um so at this point we'll hang out till uh till we run out of calls so if you want to join us dial us up right now we're going to get started with calls in montana eric welcome to the program Boy, I got to tell you, between this show and Pittsburgh Power, I don't know which one's my favorite. Yeah, the the, the <laughs> bowl that you guys talk about all the time, it just, it's a trip. <laughs> Thank you. This is cool. becoming, you know, I, I, I'm really glad that we decided to put this segment on Friday because here's like a pattern for me. You know, Monday... Mondays are easy for me because even when I just take the weekend and get away from the news and all that stuff, I still think about it. I make some notes here and there for my show open on Monday. Sunday night, I usually sit down and try to write a show open for most days of the week. And then each day I get up and try to come up with my theme for the day. And I don't know why it is, but Fridays just started to become a real struggle. Like every Friday I'd wake up, I'd read, I'd look through things and nothing comes to me. I'm like, I, I'm just going to take today you off. You don't need like, to. It, so now, right, I don't even have to think about it. I don't have to do any research. I don't have to make too many notes ahead of time. <laughs> the three of us get on and we just start talking and, and it makes it a really easy, fun day for me. So, um, yeah, honestly, had it, it, if John and Joel wouldn't have been available today, I may have just taken the day off and made it a four-day weekend, uh, but uh, I, I really look forward to this segment now, and it's one of my easiest. So, so uh, Joel, when you said you bumped it up to seventy mile an hour, what was your fuel economy? I'm just I'm rolling at ten point three right now. Yeah, I think I speak for the entire uh, trucking community when I can say, "Kiss my." Hey, Eric, did you just did you just bleep yourself out? Yes, yes, I did. Yes, okay. I did. Okay. 
<laughs> well, hey, but you got to look at it this way. I am I am sharing every single thing that I do. So this is people can oh, reproduce yeah. this. Stuff. So th- there you go. There you go. Okay, so I'm going to share something with you. Uh, you know, we mm-hmm. talked about the uh, cruise control switch and how that that freaking piece of rubber keeps popping out. I yep. sold. Yep. Uh, I, I need to hear this because I've got two laying on my dash that I need to put back in. <laughs> okay, so the problem the problem is is the uh, where where the plastic extrudes out and pokes into the rubber, the rubber yes. starts to expand. And and it and it causes a little bit of play in that uh, in that in that uh, movement. So it, the rubber is moving, but the plastic isn't. But gotcha. there's a product that's been out on the market for a very 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 long time that will have a catalyst reaction to both the rubber and the plastic. Okay, uh, I've had it in here for about six months now since we talked about it last. Haven't had uh-huh. it pop out again. Nice. Test testers glue. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. Got to clean it. The liquid. Yeah. Yep. The the testers model glue. It's uh, yeah. uh it's a little bit thick. Uh, clean it really good, and then when you mm-hmm. uh, you'll put just a little small line on each edge of the flap where it folds in. And then mm-hmm. uh, about three dots worth in the inside of that groove. And now, when you stick it in there, you're going to have to take like a feeler gauge and, and kind of push in, in the two edges in order mm-hmm. to stop that from, uh, in order to press and it down onto the, uh, the plastic curve. Hey, gotcha. I have a way, uh, really, really well. I have a way to make I'm going to try that. I have a way to make this repair a lot more interesting. Sniff the glue before I, I, you apply it. I was just going to say, when, when you go to fix this, close up the truck completely, squeeze out the entire tube of glue, and then get to work, and it will be far more fun. Awesome. Oh, hopping glue, baby. Woo. <laughs> uh, okay, so before I get to my other thing, I wanted to say that I've already solved the AB5 thing with my carrier ahead of it sit down and I got this all discussed and it'll actually profit me about eight more cents a mile. Um, So I'm on a mileage contract and I love the guy that I'm leased on with. Yeah, I know I've been getting screwed for the past, uh, you know, two and a half, almost three years, but there's something to say about actually loving the people that you work with. Absolutely. Uh, And, you know, they're, they're going to be around for a long time. Uh, well, we had a sit-down conversation, and what they're going to do is they're going to take uh, $0.36 cents off of my mileage pay. I'm still going to be paid the same way I'm going to be paid. And then they're going to pay me $0.32 cents on a W-2. Everything else goes to the truck, built to the truck. Yep. On a full-service fuel included um, uh, mileage rental yeah this is this is the two check system we talked about that this is one of the one of of the ways around it and you know this is an example of what john said 
the good owner operators will figure out a way to do this. They may even benefit from it. Like you said, your profit's actually going to go up with this. So I, I don't have a problem with that. I just think we're putting a lot of people out of business that are going to be on the edge, don't know this, don't understand it. Think about the new people. You know, that they'll be out of business before, oh, yeah. before they can even know what hit them. Uh, but there are people who are going to figure this out, and, and you're one of them. Um, it's, it's like I said, I think it's unfortunate. I think we should make getting into business as easy as possible. We shouldn't have a bunch of barriers. Get, let, let everybody get into business and then let the free market sort it out. Right. Fail fast, fail often, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, this, uh, capacitive battery that I've got in my truck works really, really, really well. Uh, it's just a two post. It's built for car stereo systems. Uh, the only downside to it is, uh, if you don't leave your diesel fired APU on, it will drain your batteries down. Um, works so what, really well if you've got a diesel fired APU. So what you're saying Let's is the, the way you've got it wired because it's only a two post, you don't have the isolator that this capacitor keeps pulling power off your other batteries to keep it self-charged. Yes. Yes. And it, but it, but it works really, really well. As long as the diesel fired APU can fire up in order to recharge the batteries. Um, I had, uh, turn the fan on, on the inside of the cab, uh, which draws power and, uh, woke up to, uh, dead batteries, uh, about a week and a half ago. Uh, so I've been doing a little bit of thinking on what I'm going to do. And, uh, I, I've come up with a couple of different ideas. So there's a bigger battery out there. It's a little bit more expensive. Um, but I think I'm going to go with that bigger battery and it requires a 14 volt, uh, uh, input, you know, somewhere between 13.6 and 14.2. And I'm thinking about putting a battery isolator in or uh, a smart battery isolator, one that will uh, uh, sense, sense voltage when the uh, uh, voltage above 13.6, and then that would charge the unit until I turn off, and then it would automatically isolate the battery again, and then connect that battery directly to the starter only. That's, that's... Or the other way that I could charge it. Go ahead. Yeah, that's that. The isolator works really well. Um, I remember one of the CMCs. We were still in Kansas City, and we used my truck as the demo for the Maxwell Start module. So we were we we installed one while we were there, so that people could see the installation process. And nobody caught it, but they actually installed it wrong, and I didn't catch it until I took it out to drive it and you could watch the um the the uh, battery gauge you know it'd be sitting right around 14 and if you turned anything on like turn the fan on you would watch it just start dropping you could watch how fast it was dropping because you could see it pulling power off that start module when it wasn't supposed to be yeah i think something was uh wired up backwards to your uh, uh, charging relay, too, because it's got a charging relay built right into it. Um, uh, it's like 10 amps and what whatever, you know, 
but that third post, I think somebody had hooked something wrong up to that third post also. Yeah. Because I don't have that issue with just the battery. Right. Um, yeah, it was it was weird. The and the, option, like I said, it it was it was almost like everything that wanted power was trying to pull it from the start module and that they don't work that way. So you could take it from fourteen to eight volts in like three minutes of just running something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think something was wired up wrong to that. Uh, I think you had two wires that were just kind of mixed up just a little bit there. Oh yeah. But, uh, the, the other, the other thought that I had was, uh, actually put in a, uh, amplification and rectification system, uh, amp- amplify the 12 volts up to 14, 14.2 volts, rectify it. Uh, get get the uh, uh, signal nice and clean, and then hook that up to a relay, which which would do pretty much the same thing, but I'm not sure what the amperage would be after I rectify that. So I guess I'd, I'd have to kind of mess around with that a little bit. That's some why you can figure that right out. I mean, if, if the amps go up, the voltage is going to go down. It, it, oh, absolutely. Free. Yeah, yeah, nothing's free. So yeah, you could, you could figure that out. So, so you're using this thing as a start module, basically? I am using it. Well, it, it works like a start module. The engine turns over faster, not as fast as with the... Uh, now, I've heard people I've heard people start their truck that's got the Maxwell in there. That thing is just amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this, this wired in with three other AGM batteries, uh, direct, wired direct in with three other AGM batteries, Turns the truck over probably twenty five to thirty percent faster. The uh, okay. the start module. I mean that thing almost a hundred percent faster. I mean that thing is just absolutely it, amazing. Yeah, it kind of uh, sounds I like think when I an air starter and and that that yeah that German start module has like three or four hundred more cold cranking amps than the Maxwell does. Wow. Yeah, we can get you know. start to even answer their damn phone. I know. That's the, I, I swear <laughs> that uh, be hard. I, I, I think that company's some sort of a front for the German mafia or something. It, it's just a strange company. <laughs> you know what I think it is? I think they they uh, stole American patent technology yeah, and they can't actually sell it over here and don't want to talk to anybody over here. Maybe that's what it is. That, that might be a good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I just looked and we have all kinds of calls. So we got to uh, we got to move a little faster here. Let's go to Missouri this time. Voitech, welcome to the program. So the People's Republic of California has been losing so much population that they had to redraw the district and they lost one congressional seat. And also businesses are leaving. They're starving for money, basically. And this is part of their money grab, uh, along with the unions and other interests. I mean, who's making money on this? Lawyers already got fed that had to, you know, deal with it. There's going to be more lawyers that will be making money, and that's who writes these stupid laws. So all these backdoor deals in Sacramento are getting done, and it's being sold to uh, emotional, retarded California voters. As something good, yeah. And everyone that has 
the half a brain is leaving. Uh, I'm almost there. Just got to get back home and finish my house. I can sell it. But I have a solution. Uh, with uh, Mr. Booty Bud over there. Uh, what's his name? Booty Bud? Some booty judge. Uh, anyway, uh, with his billion-dollar idea uh, how to make the roads feel better or people feel better about the roads, let's start companies that will analyze the equity of roads and who's better to do that than truck drivers that travel the roads all day long. So we will have a bunch of, not truck drivers, we'll have a bunch of analysts that happen to transport freight to cover some of the high fuel costs. Problem solved, right? There you go. And we'll get a grant. You know, we'll get we'll get some of that, uh, you know, sweet money that they've been printing. Two birds, one stone. There you go. <laughs> but I, I got a question about my uh, 2010 uh, D13. I just had to replace uh, one of the rockers on injector number six, the injector rocker. Uh, it was fitted. The, the little the, the thing that spins against the cam was fitted. And I just replaced that one rocker. The mechanic was telling me that I have to replace not just the all the rockers. I have to replace the uh, cam. And it would be a good idea to do the head. I have uh, 770,000 miles on it. I declined his offer um, of, you know, buying slightly used parts from him uh, and just did the, that rocker. How likely is it that this cam could fail at this mileage? Mm, not likely. Uh, no. if, if, if you're adjusting the overhead correctly on that, I, I, I mean, we, I hear a lot of talk about people of Volvo dropping valves and, and cam issues. Right. And the only time we ever see this is if the overhead is not adjusted correctly, if we're not, you know, verifying our exhaust plungers on the backside. Um, if you do that, they just, they don't fail. Um, we never have any issues with them. So it, as long as you're confident in the adjustment on that overhead, I, I wouldn't worry not about by it that guy. Uh, not, not by, I, I'm going to have to recheck that. Um, and also there was the issue, the, the reason it got opened up because there was an issue, a code on injector number six, and that injector did have a broken spring, which he replaced the spring and replaced the O-rings and put it back in. It's still under warranty because it just got, I got a six pack put in just under like 10 months ago, 11 months ago. So I'm going to see how this little fix works. If it works, then I'll leave it. If, if something's going on with, the, with number six, I'll get it replaced under warranty. But it is an aftermarket injector. It's not original. Um, gotcha. He said, this guy, this guy said he has had very good luck with those injectors, and so I kind of believe them. But uh, 10 months and, and the spring broke, I, I, I've never heard that. Um, but yeah, gen uh, generally, the only time we run into injector problems, again, it's, it's all on the Volvo, it's all about this overhead and retorquing the injector hold down bolts. Basically, what happened. 
when everybody went to common rail, Volvo stayed with unit injectors and went to extremely high pressure on the unit injector. And that hold down bolt will loosen up and it will allow the injector to rock on the cup and break the seal. The other issue you have is the exhaust plungers I'm always talking about. They get out of adjustment, and then that changes the geometry on the rockers, and it, it moves that injector around. So you, you really have to just stay up on the overhead, and, I mean, it's, it's very rare to have issues if you're doing it all and you're doing it correctly. And we do it once a year, regardless of miles or regardless of hours. We just do it once a year. So we're um, we're checking those exhaust plungers. Now, there is an upgrade nowadays with a laser welded. Um, I'm not sure if that will fit in the 2010. It may. Um, if you can upgrade to those, do it. If not, they just lock tight the ones. They go back in and adjust them and lock tight them and put them in and and then just stay up on the overhead and retorque the injector hold down bolts and I, you're not going to have any problems. Now, I remember last time I talked to you about doing the overhead on this, you mentioned that there is a service bu bulletin that most uh, mechanics are not aware of about those exhaust plungers. I think that's what it was about. Yeah, yeah I'm getting ready to post that. Yeah, so I'm getting ready to post that online again. I, I just got to find it and and put it up. I've had four or five questions about it. it, it it's okay. still relevant if your engine hasn't been upgraded. And the two things that I see the most with Volvo Power when you take it in and get the overhead done um, is they, them are never checked, and very few people include retorquing the hold down in the cost of the overhead. So you, you have to ask for it. And it, it can be a little bit more involved for the tech. And, you know, some of them may say, oh, you know, you're not going to tell me how to do my job. You know, wh whatever. But this is what we find really helps to extend the life of the injectors. And if you want to avoid drop valves, just run that overhead. Make sure the exhaust plungers are right. Retorque the injector hold downs. Cool. Uh, any chance you can uh, post that before tomorrow? I, if I can find it, I, I'm out delivering furniture right now. I'm en route to another customer, but if I can find it here, I'll give her a hell of a shot. Excellent. I would appreciate that. Thank you. You, you may be able to Google it, uh, uh Volvo service bulletin. Um, I, I can't remember the, the technical name on that bulletin, but you may search for exhaust plunger bulletin, see if it comes up on a Google okay. search. And it'll be very detailed. They they give you step by step and they even tell you what color Loctite to use. Wow. Excellent. Thank you very much. That's all I've got. Yep. Sure. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Wisconsin this time. Mark, welcome to the program. Oh, hi, everybody. Hi, Joel, John, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good. What's on your hey, mind? Hey, Joel, this, this is Mark. Yeah, this is Mark. Mark Rod. Yeah. Hey, Mark. Hey. How are you doing? Hi, John. Yeah. Hey, Mark. Uh, Good to talk to you. Yes. Yes. Uh, truck's running well. Like, like you were saying, um, a lot of skepticals on people what we do it's very hard people have very hard time to mimic what we do it's 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 all about the details and 
And that's the greatest thing that people don't understand about efficiency. For, for those that don't know, Mark has a kind of the precursor to the eye torque. He had, he had got on this aggressively downsped thing very early on. So he has a 231 rear axle ratio. It's an adaptive loading 6x2 through a 13 speed with overdrive. Um, so he has some of the iTorque logic, but again, it was very early, so it wasn't all backwards compatible. And, you know, Mark's doing fantastic with his truck. Yeah, it, it, it does run very well. And then over the, the course of the month, the engineers look at it and they go, oh, try this, try that. You know, it, it's so minute, it's just, it's hard to tell sometimes what they're trying to do or, so, but it, it, it is, but, uh, the big thing is that we, both of us, we document everything that we do so we get to see what works and doesn't work. And that's the hardest thing to preach. If you can't document anything, you don't know if you're gaining or losing. And, and that's, that's, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're exactly correct. And really for an owner operator, it becomes even more difficult if you don't have a baseline fleet to compare those numbers to, to really understand the impact that you're making. Um, it's, it's always great to track the trend. And as an owner operator, you're always happy when that trend is going upwards. There's, there's no doubt about it. So that is valuable. And then being able to track against a fleet uh, situation um, really helps that. And so a lot of Mark's numbers, I will latch on to his stuff and I will benchmark that against our fleet stuff just so we really understand what's going on. Um, of course, internally at Volvo, you know, they have access to data on, you know, thousands and thousands of trucks that they can benchmark against also. So not only is Mark tracking trends, his data is being benchmarked against other trucks. So we really truly understand the impact. Yeah. Hey, yeah, go ahead, John. Yeah. Hey, Mark, how's uh, Steve's uh, aero stuff working out for you? It, it is. No, you know, there's a couple of things I put on in the last 90 days. We're all kind of, kind of fall together because I have a camera system. I don't have any mirrors on the truck. I have the, uh, there was at the Stone Ridge Mirai system, and yep. so, and that came along pretty close to the same time. But um, when I tested it for the first month, oh yeah, there's something there. But the problem is that I don't have a dedicated route, and I don't have a dedicated load. So I'm always going somewhere different, going east, west, north, or south, and it's heavier light or whatever. Plus, I have a lift axle on my trailer. So that all changes. So if I'm under, say, we'll say we're under 20,000, the, the truck does upper tens with no problem, doing 65. Wow. But I can't, I can't, extend, I can't extend that because my next load is 44,000 going uphill, you know, and I, and I, I don't fill up after every load because I watch, I watch my IFTA. I know where, right. where to fill up, where not to fill up, what state. Yeah. So yeah. I can't, yeah. I, I can't do that. Like other people will take a run, fill up. This is what I ran, blah, blah, blah. And then run back home and take another load. 
I don't do that. So I'm going to be up and down. So I usually go a 30 days, 60 days, or 90 days and do a trend that way. Or I, I post my ISSA results. And it's, and it's really pretty well spot on with the other products that I'm using the truck to track my fuel mileage. Cool. And it, it's pretty well spot on. And that's the only way I can do it as an owner-operator working on the spot market. It's, you know, it's a little difficult. <laughs> but <laughs> you're pulling it off, though, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. Real quick, I, I, if I don't have you mistaken, you're an old Skip Barber racer, aren't you? Didn't you race the Skippy Pro years ago? Years ago, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. So that that's where you get it. I understand. Uh, well, we get first, to, if, you, if you're interested. I don't know what part of the world you'll be in two weeks from Monday. I guess the 18th and 19th. I'm going to give Steve a call and invite him up. We've got a private test going at uh, Road America, and uh, you guys would be welcome to come up and walk around and look at C3 cars and watch what we do. Well, can we fit inside the cars? Um, <laughs> in there. <laughs> I'd love to get you back behind the wheel. That'd be cool. But yeah, you know, well, the you know, process that I like that I like to talk about and preach that we do. I mean, you're talking about data. You you, you remember that stuff from when you drove, right? I mean, you you want to look oh, at you know, well as much as you can, right? Yeah, it's from a racer's type of mind. You everything. How I can explain it is that when you're at that level. Things look like you're in slow motion, but your your, yep. your body's just reacting. So, in other words, you're seeing the course, and once you're in what we used to call the zone, that everything looks slow motion, and your body's reacting to what your eyes are seeing. But your body, and your mind's like, "Huh, oh, I'm doing this," and not realizing. And then you're looking at everything three or four turns down the race course because you're setting yourself up how to pass that other person. Exactly. And it, yep. And that, and you, there's no way to train for that. You just have to learn it, and it comes from um, body matrix. How how comfortable you get inside that piece of equipment, and then your just your body takes over, and your brain does kind of your eyes and brain kind of follow along. <laughs> yep. That's the only way I yep. can explain it. There's yeah, we call it time much, expansion, but. Yeah, everybody has to do what you and Joel do now. I mean, you remember that from being in the car, and, and I don't know how much experience you have. And I know they did have data cars back then at Skip Barber. Um, did you ever yeah. get to look at your data and compare different things that you did and, and look at those those little lines and you know watch where you released the brake and where you got back on the power and how much weight you put was, in? And, that was just coming. only thing at the time they, they was transponders, if they had them in the corners, you know, they would click off and, okay, this is what that core of the track did for that core. That was just coming, you know. Was it okay? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, some some of the high-tech guys, they had it, but most of it, it wasn't available yet for everybody. That was, you know, $20,000 okay. back then, twenty thirty thousand. 30000 That was a lot of money back then, so... Oh yeah, oh, it's it's, it's three hundred thousand now. So you know. You're oh my gosh! <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm sure Steve's listening too. But yeah, I'll be back. I'll be back in Elkhart um, again, eighteenth and nineteenth, Monday and Tuesday. Uh, I'll be. We'll be. And again, it's a private test. We're there by ourselves. Uh, a couple oh. of teams are going to join us, but we have to track ourselves. Yeah. Ooh. Wow. Yeah, but yeah, Steve stuff is working, and like I said, we only cool. have probably less than a quarter of it, 
he's slow. He's trying to do things, and you know, he's the one. Him and his son are the one man band. You know, we have everything. It's just that his one supplier got sold, and he's looking for another supplier. So, you know, just working on it slowly. I'll be here for a while, so nothing. Rome wasn't built in a day, but there my wife go. says I can burn it one. There you go. Good stuff. Hey, hey, Mark, thanks for the call. Great stuff. Let's uh, let's keep plowing through these calls here. Let's go to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. What's on your mind today? Um, I, well, I tuned in late today, so I don't know whether you mentioned this, but did you see the article about the guy in North Carolina that had the he specializes in astro diesel and uh, he has emission tuning devices? Oh, I went to jail for it. Yeah, he got sent to jail for a year <laughs> yes. and, a, and a $2 million fine. So Yikes. Yeah. Don't delete your emissions. You might end up having a little time away. So. <laughs> yeah, don't don't uh, don't be messing with the EPA. Yeah, they got a big stick, and yes, they'll they whack you over the knuckles. Yeah. So, and then you, you you've been talking about rates lately, Kevin. Well, I did a load yesterday. Oh, yeah, I went I went down to Texas on. Wednesday, loaded a load, 10 vehicles, coming back to Oklahoma. I got rid of the rid of nine of them uh, within a 50-mile radius of Oklahoma City. Well, then I had one vehicle that was going 70 miles all on its own. So my dispatcher calls me and he says, hey, there's some uh, pickup trucks in Oklahoma City, going all over Oklahoma, they pay real good. Okay, so he plotted them out and where they were going and said, take your pick. So I said, well, these three are going close to where I'm delivering. So they paid $2 a mile per pickup truck. Wow. So I got 1070 $1,025 to take three pickup trucks 170 miles. Wow. <laughs> Good man. Wow. And when I delivered at the dealership this morning, the guy said to me, he says, oh, did you see any damage? I said, no, nah, but they're really dusty and dirty. He says, well, they've been sitting in that railhead for over a month. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. So that's why they've got you the know, big money on. Yeah. So you know, I yeah. I thought that um, auto sales had slowed down a little bit. I thought we were going to see prices kind of normalize again. But I just read an article this morning and said the exact opposite that we're looking at shortages of cars again and the prices are going up. Yep. Yeah, well, I, 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 just, I go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Um, I I just the other day. I just bought a used Kia Stinger because I like them. And uh, I, I found one that only had 7,300 miles on it, but they still wanted 48000 for it, and I didn't really want to pay that much. But it was a 2022. So I found one that was a 2018 that 
was $20,000 cheaper, so I decided I'd take that one, so I'm on the way to pick that up today, so my new toy. So. Yeah, uh, looks like... It's uh, nice cool to drive a rear-wheel drive car again, so yeah, have a bit of fun. Nice. There you so go. Speaking about pri- pricing, my br- my brother was just at a meeting with some bigger fleets, and they were talking about trailer prices being out of this world. And the the biggest fleets that were there, you know, that buy a group of five hundred or a thousand at a time, they are actually seeing prices starting to to significantly drop on trailer pricing. Hasn't filtered down to the smaller fleets yet, but. Um, they they just saw like a ten thousand dollar reduction. So they went from like fifty five to yeah. forty four for a new trailer. Yeah, so well, that's definitely happening. What worries me when I see things like this, you know, we we fully expect that the the economy is going to slow down, and we just have to deal with that. And there's actually an upside. That's how we will put an end to this crazy inflation is when the economy slows down enough, then prices will come back and normalize some. We we need that. What I'm afraid of when I read stuff like this, that even though the economy is slowing down, the market's tanking, all the news is bad, prices are still going up. That's, That's stagflation. That's what we're so worried about that we dealt with in the late 70s, early 80s. So, you know, when I see articles like this, that prices on new cars are going up, um, it's a little worrisome because stagflation sucks. I mean, we we have a poor economy, so you can't make enough money, and yet the price of everything keeps going up. Again, I don't know if, you know, the interest rate thing will help this or not, but people are buying shit is the problem. Like, they're they're still... They're spending money like on sailors everywhere. And the fuel prices thing, I mean, the cost of a barrel has gone down consistently over the last three weeks, and we've not seen this pump yet. And I'm convinced it's because nobody's slowing down. You should see the highways. My ride up here last night was insane. Like, it's the, the, the car, full of cars. People are driving fast. It has not slowed anybody's thought down a bit. No. And as you know, it's, it's economics 101 is what the market will bear and if you're a company and you can get more money for your product and you don't shame on you well, uh, and as long as yeah, people keep spending i, I agree it's gonna and, happen right and yeah i i wasn't going to keep going on this because it's political but i'm going to go back to this because it it ties into what we're talking about here two articles i read while we've been on the air here one um we know that too much spending is what's causing this problem. Too much money in people's hands. Guess what California is doing right now? Uh, they're giving money back to people for inflation relief. Over a thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, let's give them yep. a bunch of more money they can go spend. Let's drive demand <laughs> even higher. And, and yeah, the thing is, all that more money is going to do is create more profit for the oil companies. Is what it boils down to. It has nothing to do with helping those people out. Exactly. Right? Think about it. It's, right. It's, <laughs> right. It, yeah. It. So, and here's another thing. You know, we we know that there are a lot of factors that play into inflation. There's no doubt about it. But energy prices could be the single biggest factor driving this everything requires energy takes energy to make it to move it to everything so 
energy prices are key right now. I have heard Biden say at least a hundred times, I'm so sick of hearing this, we're doing everything we can to lower these prices. Except I haven't heard one thing that they're doing, not even one. And now listen to this. This is absolutely outrageous to me. There's a there's a deal where every five years the government has to redo their leases for these uh, these uh, either offshore or onshore these oil and energy leases on government property. It's a standard thing. It's no big deal. We've been doing it since the 1950s. The Biden administration this time, oops, we forgot. We forgot we were supposed to update these leases. It just slipped our mind. That's never happened since we started this program in 1950. But because they didn't do this, that means no new oil leases for the rest of the year now. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make any sense at all. Look, even if you can claim that you made a mistake and overlook something that we've never made a mistake on in 70 some years, if you did, so what? You're the government. Make a new rule. Right. 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 Exactly. I mean, they, they can break protocol because they forgot. Right. Yeah. Like, but, yeah. Like, just fix why, it. Why not just sign the lease now? It's like, right. Let's do it. Yeah. Just fix it. God. <laughs> So the only thing you can conclude from this, realistically, we we just got to be real about this. The only thing I can conclude from what I'm seeing with this administration is that they are hell bent on pushing us to electric vehicles. I I can't think of any other reason why they're doing all this. They definitely are. I think you're a hundred percent right. The problem is, is that it's, we're just not there yet. We're not even close. It's going to blow up in their face. We are not there yet. And whoever's given them the information saying that this can be done, they're smoking some crack that I don't know where they got it from, but (laughs) they're they're just, they're nuts. Hey, I know where they got it from. Come on. That's that's an easy one. They got it from Hunter. (laughs) There you go. Maybe that's what happened. (laughs) They were all sitting around and hitting the crack pipe when they thought of this. I don't know. uh, And, you know, I'm all for efficiency and green stuff, but, man, this is just nuts. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. All right, let's let's grab another call before I go off on another rant. We're going to go to Nevada. Debbie, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Good. What's on your mind today? Okay. I have a very important question about this AB, AB5. Am I correct in assuming we are, my trucker is leased onto company in Texas. So it doesn't affect us, right? I don't know. I wish I could answer that, but that's going to have to be worked out in the courts. It, it, because I, I've read through because. this, I've read the attorneys, what they say, and basically they're saying the same thing, that when you have laws like this, they're written specifically for a state, 
And then when we try to apply them to an industry that doesn't work like all the other industries, we have companies in California that will lease people from all over. We have people who live in California leased to trucking companies that aren't in California. And we don't know how this law is going to affect either one of those. Okay. Now, my question is, do you, if you, like we live in California, Trying to get out, but we do currently live in California. Does my trucker have to have an out-of-state CDL? I, I don't know. Why, why? I don't think that would matter. Now, wait a minute, and, and I'm a little confused. I just want to understand the operation here. When you say my trucker, what, what's the relationship here? How is this working? Hello? Debbie? The reason why I'm asking is our recruiter called me just a little while ago and she says that we have to have an out-of-state CDL. So I thought, I'm going to call Kevin. He'll know. Well, I'm not even, I'm not understanding the scenario. When you say my recruiter, my truck, give, tell me the, the business model here. What's the setup? What's the arrangement? Okay. We live in California. We are leased onto a company based in Texas. Oh, so Our tractor plate is Texas. Our trailer plate is Tennessee. Now... Our recruiter calls me, wanting to know if we knew anything about living in California and having to have an, another state BDL. Yeah, so the, the answer is we don't know. We, we don't know how they're going to apply this law in California. We do know... For sure. If the trucking company is in California and the driver lives in California, then the law clearly applies. We don't know if the trucking company is in California, but the driver is from another state if the law applies or the other way around. If the trucking company is in another state, but the driver is in California. We don't know the answer to either one. Here's what I would say, though. I wouldn't worry about it because nobody's going to enforce in those scenarios yet they it's going to take them a while to even start enforcing in california a lot of companies are just going to keep doing business the way they always have and then the courts are going to have to step in and decide so if you're in that scenario where one of the two entities is outside of california i would just sit back and wait i wouldn't do anything different okay Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Appreciate you. You're welcome. And we miss you. Uh, Well, thank you. You don't have to miss me. We're here every day. We're here more than we used to be. Let's uh, let's go to Missouri. Jim, welcome to the program. Hey, I just you know this fuel efficiency is slowing down. It's a lot more less stressful. If you're trying to run seventy two with everybody else, everybody's in your way. But if you sit back and run 62 to 65 or less, nobody's in your way. There's there's another convert. Driving a lot stressful. 
<laughs> we, we've been saying this for years. Yeah. Yep, I agree. Well, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Why should we present the data on this from our our, our, our Garmin? So that's right. Yeah, I, I, that, that's great. I, you know, of course, I don't drive a Volvo because my company buys international. But I do understand, and I have proven to myself, I can push, I can push eight and a half to eight and three quarters without working very hard if I slow down to sixty-two. Yep. At least. So, you know, it, 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 and that's that's all I have to do. I don't have to do anything to truck, and I have no idea for sure how the truck is geared, but uh, you know. It pulls great. It does everything it needs to do. Uh, of course, they're putting these e-smart regulators on them that watches speed limit with the GPS, and sometimes that doesn't agree with what the finding is on the road, which is a little annoying. But uh, it's just a workaround that we're starting to learn because I'm in a 23 international right now. You know, so they're putting these e-smart Yeah, hey, we're we're uh, we're just about ready to wrap this up. I do want to, uh, you know, we we've talked about this forever and ever, and right now, especially in today's industry, the economy, at where we are right now, the idea of slowing down trucks. Now, and I don't mean government mandated with speed limiters. I mean just people using some common sense and slowing down on their own. There's nothing but upside. For everybody and everything, safety, fuel, the economy, the slower every truck goes on the road, that affects supply. When we can affect supply, prices can go up. If we lower the supply by everybody going slower, then prices go up. There's just it's just pure upside. Um, but uh, you know, obviously. We, we were never able to convince many people by telling them you save money on fuel, but maybe we can convince them with all these other things. I kind of doubt it. Um, I, I think what, well, I was going to say, I think what will finally convince them is when they go out of business, but they'll probably blame it on something else anyway. So You know what, what, what's kind of ironic with this whole thing, the scenario you just explained, the, the, the trucking industry has a whole lot of power if they all decided to slow down. And, you know, we, we look at the president who wants to blame Russia and Putin for everything. Everybody shift and blame on everything. As an industry, we do that. We're blaming everybody else. We have it within our own power to solve a lot of these problems. And we don't do it either. Right. So, you know, as an industry, we're just as guilty as everybody else. Shift blame, talk about a bunch of BS that doesn't mean anything, when all we have to do is slow the truck down. <laughs> I know. Yeah. That's it. Yep. Uh, it can't get any simpler than that, and we, we refuse to do it. And so we deal with what we deal with. Yep, and and we're about to see a big fallout from that. It's going uh, gonna to get interesting. All right. Um let me see. Do we we have one more call? We're gonna grab it, um, Angie. This will be the last call. Then we're gonna wrap this one up. We're gonna go to Wisconsin. Eric, welcome to the program. Hey, morning, gentlemen. Uh, I had a quick question for you uh, about the ratios. I am considering uh, picking up an old International ninety two hundred. Um, 
but it's got horrible rear end ratio. They've got four thirty threes in there what? with a super ten transmission, mm. and I like the engine. It's the Cummins eleven liter. I'm just wondering how high can I go? Can I can I throw two sixty fours on a super ten transmission? Would that work? Uh, you'd have to look at the starting ratio, but you have to be r- real careful with this. Um, getting too crazy, you you may be able to get out there, but it's going to require some extra driver skill when you're starting heavy loads or you're on a hill, so you don't tear that clutch and stuff. Just be aware of that. You can go to two sixty four. You just got to be on your game when you're on a hill. If you're if you're running and stop and start traffic a lot with it, I think. Um, I, I don't know that I would do a 264 and start and yeah. stop traffic. I, uh, if you're out on the highway, yeah, you can do it, but just understand that, you know, you start a heavy load or you're on grade starting out that you've got to be very careful. Sure. Sure. Yeah. We, we run, we run out to DC and back from Wisconsin uh, every weekend. So that would be the run. There's, there's generally not a lot of city mileage there. I, I hate even doing this. I mean, I, I tried getting into uh creek here in Wisconsin to order a new Volvo about six months ago, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't accept any new orders. So I, you know, now that's completely out of the question. I just can't justify that kind of spend in this type of environment and what may be coming down the pipeline. Um, you know, so for 15 grand, I'd rather pick this up with nine hundred thousand on it and pay an extra six grand to have the the rear end changed out. But uh, you, you know, know, what do you think my cruising speed would be with four thirty threes in there if I just kept it like like it is? Well, your I, I mean, your cruise speed is basically whatever you want. Is it efficient? No, not with four thirty threes. I mean, unless you're going to go. 50 miles an hour you're probably yeah yeah, um just off the top of my head without going and calculating if i had to guess the highest ratio we could go to and still make this a drivable truck and i'm saying this because of the engine that this is the smaller cummins um i would think probably 293s might be the yeah, gear that's going to allow you to drive indirect. And you're, you're going to be at a higher RPM than what we talk about with a lot of engines, but that smaller engine runs at a higher RPM. So I, I have a feeling it's going to fall out at about 293s, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. I was thinking 279, just rolling it through my head real quick. But 279, 293, it's going to fall right in that range, there's no doubt. Okay, excellent. Hey, is John still on the, on the line? Yeah, I'm still here. Yep. yep. Hey, John, this is Eric from High Five Transportation. I don't know if you remember, but I had the Pro Star that we, we made the Dorothy for. Oh, cool. Okay. So, uh, the one for so the reason. Ride, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, uh, well, I've got two trucks, but that, that Pro Star, we've got it almost to a million miles now. So, uh, I'm preparing for the future. Okay, good. So, so thanks, thanks for the help on that. You and the Pittsburgh Power Team. It, it, uh, this will be the first truck that my shop's ever seen go over a million miles with a Max Force 13 engine. A oh, good deal. So that, that's neat. So that's all I got, gentlemen. I, I appreciate your help. Thank you so much, and uh, y'all have a great Fourth of July weekend. All right. Thanks for the call. Right. Happy Fourth. All right. Uh, anybody have any? 
final words before we wrap this up? Uh, I got to get to work. I got to get, uh, I burned through my lunch hour and then some. So yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody enjoy your weekend. Yeah. All right. It's Canada Day up here. They copied off of us. I didn't, I didn't realize they did that. So July 4th is a holiday here too. Uh, so we're, uh, I'll be, uh, I'll be in Canada for the holiday weekend, which is interesting, but, uh, so, yeah. so be it. There you go. <laughs> All right. All right. Joel. I'm just getting up the road, making some deliveries, hoping I get the last one off so I don't have to sit down here all weekend, but it's not looking yeah. good at the moment. So, well, we're, yeah, we're, we're all, no you to wisdom. we're all rooting for you. We'll send you a little tribe mojo. Hey, there you go. All right. All right, everybody. All right, well, I can roll. Great yeah. week. We will, uh, we will see you here next week. Enjoy the fourth. Enjoy our freedoms. And uh, have a great weekend. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.